Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Anne Witten. Anne is the content director for Living Out, an organization that aims to help people, churches, and society talk about faith and sexuality. She grew up in Manchester, but now lives in Newcastle as a missionary. She has a degree in philosophy and an MA in contemporary missiology, which let's be honest, is a mouthful and I'd love to hear more about that. <laughs> and apparently, Anne, this is from your testimony video on the Living Out website, apparently you love steam trains, which I'd love to hear more about because you weren't, you weren't too proud of that when you said it on the video. So it'd be great to hear more of that. But anyway, hello and welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Jess. Great to be here. Shall we start with the trains in the room and uh, talk to us about your love of steam trains? <laughs> Do you know, when I said that, as soon as I said it, I felt really embarrassed. I thought, oh, they're, they're bound to cut that bit out. Um, but they left it in. So there's like me admitting to enjoying steam trains and then doing a really awkward giggle. So, <laughs> um, yeah. I do. I enjoy all kind of vintage transport, um, but I really like riding on heritage railways. Um, so we've got one near us called the Tampiel Railway, which is the oldest railway in the world. Um, I like the sort of romance of steam and, you know, I, I'm a bit of a Hercule Poirot fan. So, you know, um, always sort of half anticipating a murder at some point along the journey. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not into kind of, you know, all the all the geeky stats and things. It's more the social history. And, I, you know, I just enjoy the whole atmosphere nice and, and in doing that in saying that you've managed to separate yourself out from the, the average train spotter to, yeah um, you're you. a class above the average train spotter <laughs> that you know. i don't stand around in an anorak writing down numbers <laughs> <laughs> well uh thanks for coming on the podcast today i'm really looking forward to our conversation and there's obviously several things that we're going to talk about I'd love to hear about your work with living out we're going to talk about singleness and your experience growing up um, becoming a Christian, being same-sex attracted, and then how you've learned to process that and dis you know, discover a life of flourishing in what the Bible says um, about sexuality. So lots of things we could talk about. Why don't we just start by getting to know you? Tell us a bit about yourself, where you, where you grew up, how you came to faith, that sort of thing. Yeah, so I'm Mancunian, very proud of that. Uh, grew up in Are you Manchester. blue or red? Uh, do you know, I, kn I knew you were going to ask me that, and I actually don't like football. <laughs> I've um, I've never been to a football match. Um, so, yeah, my sports of choice are snooker and tennis. So, uh, booking the trend a little bit there. Uh, but, yeah, born and brought up in Manchester, um, I guess. Um, I mean, my story, faith and sexuality, kind of both go hand in hand. So I kind of knew that I was gay from a very early age, Um I kind of I, I remember having a massive crush on Jodie Foster who's um who was a sort of child actress when I was a child as well a bit older than me but um yeah massively obsessed with her and um I, I kind of remember always feeling a bit different I was very um I was very into wearing tracksuits and motorbike helmets and things like that and me and my brother we were always going off on our bikes having adventures very active childhood it was an enjoyable childhood it was it was great our parents gave us lots of opportunities to uh, to explore and learn new skills do new things um I guess during puberty uh, it was a it was a tough time for me I um I went to an all-girls school and they forced us to wear skirts, which felt very uncomfortable for me. Um, I, you know, I just I just found that really difficult. And um, yeah, I, I guess also I became aware that I was attracted to a girl at school. Um, and I mean, this is the 
this is the kind of late 80s and early 90s so it's very different cultural environment there were no lgbtq societies or anything uh, sexuality wasn't talked about at all I didn't really know what to do with that and simultaneously I'd been kind of brought up as a churchgoer um so it was a, a local parish church uh, that was I guess quite high Anglican you'd describe it as so you know sort of altar cloths and uh, robes and candles and things and there was something about that that I really liked um and I I kind of you know learned a bit about Jesus and stuff but it wasn't it wasn't an evangelical church so I didn't really get to grasp uh, what the gospel was all about my view on Christianity was that um it was about being a good person and if you sort of made the grade if you were good enough then you'd get to heaven that was that was the reward for living a moral life um and so becoming aware of my sexuality and really struggling with that I kind of felt instinctively that I wouldn't be good enough to be a Christian that there'd be something that about me that God would really disapprove of I don't think I actually heard any teaching from the Bible on sexuality I just kind of thought I suppose the cultural environment I was growing up in was that you know being gay was frowned upon a bit and so you know I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about it it felt like a bit of a shameful secret to be honest um so fast forwarding to sixth form now I was just I was very academic I threw myself into my studies and sports I was good at all that sort of stuff but I was also very insecure in myself. Um, I was, uh, I suppose, struggling with, with my identity and what to do with my sexuality and stuff. So uh, I, I experienced some depression. Um, I had a bit of counselling on that. And I struggled a bit with alcohol as well, because that just felt like a, a way to escape a little bit from the inner turmoil that I was experiencing. Um, so I decided to go... Uh, I was applying to university and I decided to go to London. Um, I suppose for a few reasons, uh, I thought, well, it's it's a bit of a way from Manchester so I can make a new start. Uh, I also thought, you know, that there's a gay scene there, um, I've heard. Uh, so I could get, get involved in that and really explore that side of my identity. And I also chose to study philosophy, um, which a lot of people don't even know what that is. But I guess there were some deep rooted questions in me. I really wanted to know what life was all about, uh, because I, I, I guess I thought if, if life's just about being happy and having fun. Well, I'm not doing very well at that. At the moment. <laughs> you know, I don't feel particularly happy. I'm not having loads of fun. So kind of what is the point in my life? You know, is there any meaning beyond just, you know, seize the day? live every moment you know um so I chose to study philosophy thinking that it would bring all the answers to life uh the universe and everything um so yeah I went to university with quite high expectations <laughs> I arrived in London um and sort of threw myself into various things I joined the LGB society uh, it didn't even have a T in those days it was just LGB um got to know a few people there and and you know, there were, there were good things about that. But I was also starting to realise that that maybe kind of pursuing a relationship and fulfilling all my hopes and dreams in that way wasn't going to be enough to meet this massive yearning inside me. And kind of simultaneously, I'd met a girl in, in my halls of residence um, who was a Christian and went to church. And uh, <laughs> this isn't very edifying for me, but I, I fancied her basically, and I wanted to uh, become her friend. And so I thought, well, how can how can I get to know her better? I know I'll sort of show an interest in going to church. So <laughs> I I went along to church with her, um, you know, very very kind of um, 
uh, not not very pure motives, but I started going along to this church and there was something very different about the people there. It kind of felt like they they meant what they said and there was something in it. They What they believed affected how they lived. Uh, I remember hearing a guy um, talking in one of the student slots after, after one of the services. He had terminal cancer and he had you know, a couple of weeks left to live. Um, and he he didn't speak like somebody who was on death row. He spoke with a real hope and a conviction, like there was something that he was looking forward to. And I just thought, what is it about this guy? You know, uh, he has got something that I haven't got and I want to know more about it. Um, so I carried on going to the church. Um, in another of the student slots, there was a guy who came to talk. He was from an organisation called True Freedom Trust, which I'm now quite involved in. Um, they exist to support uh, Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction and also their families and friends. So this guy, his, his personal experience was of being gay, uh, being same-sex attracted, but becoming a Christian and, you know, um, seeking to live his life in accordance with biblical teaching. So he was living a single celibate life. Um, and again, he talked with so much hope and he talked about, you know, what he'd received in Christ, how that had met the fundamental needs in him for, for intimacy and for meaning. And I was just blown away. I mean, the, the first thing I realized is that God doesn't hate gay people, which, you know, up till then, I didn't, I didn't know how God viewed me as, as a lesbian, as a gay person. And so uh, in that moment, I realized that, you know, God loved me and wanted me to know him um, and that that was possible, even in spite of my sexuality. Um, so I kind of went away chewing over all these things. I was still going to the LGB society as well. So there was a bit of overlap there. Um, and I guess the night that I kind of sealed the deal uh, with God or he sealed the deal with me, I don't know. <laughs> it's probably that way around, isn't it? I'd, uh, I'd been out with the LGB society. I'd been out for a night on the tiles in Soho. Um, I'd come home quite late at night, probably about three in the morning. And before I went to bed, I thought, I'll just, I'll just read the Bible. Um, so I turned to Romans 8, which is a bit that I'd heard preached about. Um, and it talks about there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it talks about these two very different ways of living, uh, living by the spirit or living according to your sinful nature. Um, so I suppose that's, uh, you know, that's uh, your rebellious nature, you know, living up, um, away from God and not accepting him uh, in your life. And I kind of realised that I had been living to please myself and it hadn't actually worked that well. Um, and I, I guess the penny dropped. I realised that Jesus had died and risen again from the dead to to destroy sin in my life so that I could be reconciled to him so that I could um so that all the yeah all the debt that I owed everything that I'd done wrong past present and future uh was paid for so that I could have this intimate relationship with God um and yeah I just wanted that <laughs> I mean I didn't understand all the theology at the time but I, I prayed something can't even remember what I prayed but that was the turning point for me really where I thought I, I just want Jesus I, I don't want to be condemned I want to be free the next day I um I found my friend and said, look, we've got to join the Christian Union. You know, <laughs> I don't think I even realised at that point I'd become a Christian, but uh, something had definitely changed. And so, you know, I dragged her along to the Christian Union and, you know, threw myself into that. And, you know, I was just desperate to find out more about God, to, to learn more about the Bible. And uh, so that was a really kind of, I guess, sweet period of, of understanding 
uh, gobbling up the Bible and, and understanding who I am in Christ and, and just enjoying this new life that he's given me. So that was 10th of January 1996 when I became a Christian and yeah, my life changed. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. That's wonderful. And this, I mean, there's so much in what you shared there that uh, I'd love to ask more about. It seems that the, um, the, the, the kind of the quest for security and um, meaning and satisfaction in the world, um, it, it seems that for many people, there is a, people can relate to that kind of dis- that unease, that anxiety, uh, and the, the prevailing message of our, often of our biology, of our culture, is this will, this will find satiation in romance. And you will mm. you will feel complete and whole and fulfilled only when. So, is that why you know you describe going to to London? It, how much was that kind of quest for security and significance and acceptance bound up with your felt sense of uh, attraction, sexual attraction, romantic attraction? Mm. And was it very much then a journey of discovering? I oh, actually know this. It doesn't satisfy as much as I thought it would talk to me a bit about that experience if you mm. can yeah I mean it was it was very bound up in that I mean my whole childhood you know I'd I'd grown up sort of romanticizing I'm quite romantic really at heart and you know I wanted to be caught up in a love story and um I mean there wasn't a lot at the time you know there was no Netflix there was no you know YouTube there was no there's very little kind of gay stuff that I could get my hands on really um I mean there was the I remember the pre-Watershed Brookside lesbian kiss, um, which now, you know, if you look it up on YouTube, it's it's really lame. I mean, not, <laughs> but I remember that was a that was a massive big deal. But yeah, so I suppose a lot of um, a lot of my inner life was uh, bound up with you know thinking if I can only have a relationship with another woman, this will complete me. This will make me whole. This is you know what what my life's all about. Um, so I suppose I went off to university thinking that that is what I needed, that is what I wanted. You know, I'd had 18 years of, you know, well, nearly 18 years of that being my hope and my dream and what I kind of pinned my, um, yeah, pinned my hopes upon. Um, <clears throat> it was a different environment. You know, there was no gay marriage. Um, you know, gay people were much more in the closet than they are now. And there was much more stigma around having a gay relationship. But, you know, um, I just felt that was who I was and that I needed to express that. Um, and, you know, I didn't want to be on my own. I, you know, I wanted somebody who was going to love me completely and perfectly and forever. Um, and, yeah, it, it's kind of funny because I feel like God got in a bit quick and kind of... <laughs> kind of put uh, squashed all those hopes and dreams because uh, I became a Christian at 19 so I hadn't really had much chance to go down that path and I actually didn't have um I didn't have a sexual relationship with a woman before I became a Christian um I'd had a few like a couple of like things with blokes but never really got very far and you know I didn't like it and <laughs> um so I, I and when I first became a Christian, I think I was just so, you know, bowled over by Jesus. And, you know, I was, I was really kind of excited by everything that I'd found in him. It was later um, in my Christian life, a kind of couple of years later, uh, that I started to feel like, am I missing out? You know, the, the thing that I'd always dreamt of, you know, I'm now never going to have. Um, 
and so you know I have um a, a few times during my Christian life actually got into a relationship with a woman and you know that's become sexual and um yeah I, I suppose it's at those moments where I haven't really trusted that God's got the best for me and you know I haven't um I haven't always trusted that his that what he says in the Bible um, about you know it not being a good thing to have sex with another woman, I've kind of always believed that that's true, but I haven't always understood why. Um, I haven't always understood that actually God is good for me. He wants my flourishing. He doesn't want to deprive me of anything uh, that will give me fulfillment and uh, will help me to flourish. Um, so I have at times, you know, chosen to try and look for my needs for intimacy um, and satisfaction to be met in relationships with other women. Um, and I found ultimately that, you know, unsurprisingly, that doesn't work. You know, no human being will ever um, uh, give me the unconditional love that Jesus gives me. It's always going to fall short. Um there are good things about having a deep friendship with somebody who knows you well and you know wants to spend time with you and there's, there's something really attractive and compelling about that but I think you know flipping that over into into a sexual relationship where that person becomes everything to you uh, and where you rely on that person for things that only God can meet that becomes very dangerous um, that's that's happened to me and I've basically there have been times where I've put a woman in God's place and rather than that being really satisfying and rather than it being you know a, a way for me to experience true love actually it's deprived me of the true love that I find in Jesus because I'm looking to a fallible human person who who can't love me unconditionally and love me completely he will never know me intimately who can't be there all the time you know you know if we think about romantic relationships even sort of good relationships husband and wife relationships it's never healthy to look to the other person to be god to us effectively um you know um human relationships are blighted by misunderstanding our own sinfulness uh we can't be uh with somebody 24 hours a day uh, you know we have jobs to go to we have other things to do with our lives um so i've i've sort of as my christian life has gone on as i've grown in my faith i've realized that there is only one person who can be that to me who can who knows me intimately who can love me completely who will never leave me who's there when i wake up in the middle of the night feeling lonely and insecure there is only one person who can meet that need in me and that's jesus christ and that's the same for everybody whether single or married young or old uh, you will you will always be dissatisfied and disappointed if you're looking to another human being to fulfil that deep need for intimacy in you. Yeah, I I do think sometimes we we have a very limited understanding of our own depravity in, in not in our moral baseness but in our own fallen humanity. If we think that a, a single relationship is going to fulfill or complete us then we've misunderstood how broken we are yeah. that some that one one relationship it cannot solve all the things about that's wrong about me that's mm. why we need so much so many different types of relationships so many different types of attachments and um, sense of community and belonging um, sense of meaning and purpose with our work our things that we do with our hands um, our our 
love relationships with other people but then all of those things are like little pieces in a jigsaw uh, that tr that we're trying to build a, a complete picture to help us feel satisfied and whole whereas actually we are so broken and so lost that only something as significant and whole and complete as God is able to f fulfill us in the deepest parts of what we're longing for and it strikes me a lot of what you're saying you know as, as you rightly said then it's not just a, an experience of someone who's same-sex attracted but what it does seem to me is that people who are same-sex attracted their romantic attachments is such a larger part of their orientating themselves in the world because it seems to be uh, an experience well David Bennett put it like this he said it's an experience first of suffering before it becomes anything before it's in a moral issue it's an experience of suffering whereby an individual feels themselves to be different from others which heightens our awareness perhaps of our brokenness and hence thinks well if this is the thing that I feel so keenly broken or, or different about me then maybe it is this that I need to you know this is going to be the source of repairing me I don't know but um, would you would you kind of go along with or agree with David's comment that initially when someone just learns that they're attracted to people of the same sex it's not actually a question of is it right or wrong it's a question of this is an experience of suffering because I'm noticing I'm different from my peers and that's painful how would you relate that or put that in your own words mm, that's a very interesting comment um I mean I I'm tempted to say that it's probably different for different people and it's probably different in different generations I mean I'm 45 I'm old now you know <laughs> I grew up in the 80s and 90s and there definitely was shame attached to it because just culture at large you know was not out and proud um and there was you know like I say there were four channels on tv there was nothing gay on any of them and uh you know it wasn't something you could talk about at school with your friends and your peers it uh it wasn't something that really parents talked to their children about so it was very much an experience of hiding this part of yourself that felt very different from everything else that you were seeing and being taught and I think culture's changed enormously and some of that is for the better you know I think it's good that now it's in some ways easier for children to talk about their experiences there isn't as much shame attached I don't think uh, to the experience of same-sex attraction or um, uh, bisexuality or you know the, the sort of myriad of ways that we you know feel romantically and sexually about other people I think that's a good thing you know I, um, I think it's it's helpful and healthy to be able to have open conversations about our confused feelings, uh, especially as we go through puberty, which is, let's face it, often a horrible time for most people. Yeah, it, it's very different for different people. And I mean, I've, I've just recently written a blog post on the Living Outside about, you know, we are all different, you know, um, to sort of steal a phrase from Preston Sprinkle when he talks about trans people, you know, when you've met one gay person, you've met one gay person, you know, there is no such thing as the gay experience or, you know, um, I mean, my my personal experience of, you know, I felt quite sort of ashamed when I was younger, but then when I went to university and I joined the LGB society, it, that was helpful in making me, you know, realise there, there's nothing wrong with me. It's not a, a pathology. You know, I this is how I feel. These feelings are valid. Um, and actually becoming a Christian really helped me with the shame thing. You know, now my identity, I guess, is rooted in Christ. I know that I'm precious to him. I know that I'm his daughter. Those are the things that are most important about me. But I'm also same-sex attracted and that's okay. You know, I don't feel like a second-rate citizen. I don't feel like that's something I need to hide or be ashamed of. I guess I wouldn't be doing this job if I was ashamed of it because I, you know, I talk about it a lot in public and I stand up and tell people, you know, 
uh, crowds of 200 people like some of the worst things I've ever done so you know I uh yeah I don't I don't need to be ashamed because Jesus Jesus loves me he has transformed me he doesn't accept my sin but he uh he absolutely loves me and is shaping me to to be like him and you know there is no shame or reje- rejection or condemnation in him yeah, well I mean that was something I was going to ask about actually I think people in your position doing your job generally um but also gay Christians or gay people generally it seems to be such a large part of their uh, not identity but a large occupy occupies a large amount of their mental space thinking about their romantic attack or their sexual attachments and attractions and I, I was going to ask about how does how does one make sure that, that doesn't consume them to become the defining feature of them you know whereas I maybe maybe yeah I don't maybe maybe I'm naive in thinking this I don't define my much of my identity about my sexual orientation but maybe that's because I'm you know cis or mainstream um, in that sense and so it it feels less of a there's less stigma or less need for it to become a big part of my identity and I just kind of maybe I haven't articulated that in the right way but you I answered it helpfully in part there but I just love to know more of your reflections on how do you make sure experience of your sexual attraction doesn't become such a large part in defining who you are that's that's a really big deal and actually uh it, it's something that I've asked myself a lot because it's weird doing this job so I work two and a half days a week uh, with living out which is this ministry that uh you know we talk about faith and sexuality we help um the church to support same-sex attracted Christians and to engage well with biblical teaching on sexuality so I do a lot of writing and thinking and research and go around doing talks about sexuality for basically half my week and (laughs) I must admit that one of my concerns about taking this job was I just don't want to become I don't want that to become my issue I don't want that to become something that I spend a lot of time thinking about because there are more important things about me um Actually, I really care about mission. I love sharing my faith um, and, and probably, you know, mission and, you know, the, the Great Commission that uh, Jesus gives to his disciples in Matthew 28. That's more important to me than sexuality. And so it's nice that for the other two and a half days of the week, that's what I do. Um, so <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to work full time on sexuality stuff. It's just too much. Um, yeah, so I guess um, I've... Uh, I've worked hard at making sure that my identity is is rooted in what God says about me and the important things about me uh, are that I'm a child of God, that, um, you know, I've written out lists of promises uh, that he uh, makes about me and about all his people. Um, And I really like to sort of dwell on those and chew on those. I actually deliberately didn't read many books about same-sex attraction. There's probably still loads I, I probably should have read, but <laughs> I don't like to give it too much airtime um, because it isn't the most important thing about me. Um, I I make it a real priority to spend time with Jesus uh, just on my own, having retreat times, enjoying him, uh, reading all through his words so that I'm being exposed to different parts of scripture um, you know I, uh, I'm not just you know I'm not just focusing on stuff to do with sexuality obviously professionally I do but I, I make sure that I counteract that with lots of time um, with God where I'm doing other stuff I, I'm involved with mission in, in various churches and organizations um, 
uh, around the city and you know that's very much not to do with sexuality which is great and I always love it when I get invited to speak on something that's you know got nothing to do with sexuality you know someone says come, come and do a talk on Romans I'm like yes great <laughs> uh, not Romans 1 you know <laughs> the rest of it um yeah so I think and I I like to I do a lot of reading I love books um and I deliberately do a lot of reading that's again you know nothing to do with sexuality I read a lot of a lot of non-Christian books, a lot of non-fiction, fiction, and I read a lot of Christian books that are, yeah, to do with discipleship or mission or Christian character, that kind of thing. And I guess the other thing, you know, there is a question of kind of how you label yourself, you know, how you choose to describe yourself and your experience. And I mean, this is a, a sort of hotly contested issue. Um, you'll probably notice I've kind of interchanged between gay and same-sex attracted in this interview. Um, for me, um, I, I tend to use language quite pragmatically. So, you know, same-sex attracted is a bit Christian jargony. So I might use that, you know, when I'm talking to Christians, but I won't use that if I'm talking to a university student who's not a Christian, you know, I would just say gay. And I would always, I would always hope to be able to unpack that and explain it a bit more. So, you know, sometimes I say that I'm from a gay background um, or, you know, that I have had gay relationships, but, you know, try to invite questions about my experience of sexuality now so that I can talk about how Jesus has entered into that and transformed it. Um, but when I think about myself privately, I suppose I don't think of myself, I don't think of being gay as integral to who I am. Um, it's a big part of my story. It, it always will be a big part of my story. Um, in fact, again, I, I'm, I'm just going to shamelessly plug my writing here, but I wrote a blog post on the Living Outside uh, called It's it's Not My Identity, But It Is My Story, where I kind of tease that out a bit more. Um, so, yeah, listeners can go there. <laughs> yeah, I love And I mean, we'll be plugging your podcast as well with the Living Out crew, which is superb as well. So I know you're, you're putting out a lot of really helpful material resources and just thinking about this issue at a time where it seems to me really really important that christians are thinking about this because if we're not thinking about it to, to borrow someone else's phrase we, we end up getting colonized by the progressive society that we're in um well, i'd love to come on to talk a bit about singleness um which i know something you've taught on before um and, and write about uh, could you just walk us through, if you can, um, a potted history of maybe the last few decades or 100 years, how we as a people have kind of changed in the way that we think about singleness? Oh, my goodness. That's a I know. Sorry. Massive yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't what I thought you were going to ask me. <laughs> no, OK. Sorry. Uh, I don't know if I'm the most qualified person to, to talk about this, to be honest. Um yeah, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose um, culture has changed as as all sorts of things have changed in the light of the sexual revolution. Our attitude towards singleness uh, has changed as well. Um, I mean, historically, singleness has often been seen as um, as a bit of a, a minority thing, as a second best. Often, um, I mean, if you, you go right back to, to biblical culture, singleness and celibacy and childlessness were all quite sort of difficult things, especially for a woman, actually. Um, if you were, I mean, the Bible talks about widows and orphans, you know, you were very much, uh, you were vulnerable, you weren't under the protection of a man. Um, and, you know, that that made it very difficult to survive in that society. Uh, what I love about um, 
what I love about the Bible is it's actually quite progressive on singleness. <laughs> you know, obviously Jesus was single, Paul was single. Uh, there's teaching in the Bible about singleness being a gift of equal worth to, to marriage, um, which is absolutely revolutionary and amazing. And fast forward a lot of a lot of years. Um, I guess singleness has been viewed in, in various different ways in our Western culture and also in cultures around the world. Um, I think... Um, I think sort of since the sexual revolution has been, um, you know, we are in some ways a lot more sort of liberated. There's been a pushback against marriage and the nuclear family and that kind of thing. In some ways that's good, but I think in some ways we've taken that to unhelpful extremes. So um, I suppose there are different ways of viewing singleness. Singleness could be sort of the state of being unmarried. Um, so the state of, of not having a spouse that you're committed to for life. Um, but singleness, I guess, in, in the culture now doesn't necessarily mean celibacy. It could mean, you know, um, freedom to date whoever you want, a kind of, you know, freedom over your own sexuality and sexual expression. So it might mean um, serial monogamy. It might mean um, hookups. It might mean all sorts of different things, um, some of which, you know, aren't, aren't terribly helpful. Um, Within the church, um, you know, I think we've sort of somehow really unhelpfully idolised marriage in a way that the Bible doesn't. Um, so singleness, you know, although we teach on singleness as being um, a gift that's equally valuable um, to marriage, we actually don't always live that out in practicality. Uh, so a lot of church life is is revolves around nuclear family and, and marriage and that kind of thing. Um, so it can be hard for single people like me, especially as you get a bit older, to kind of know where we fit in and know how to thrive and to live out our faith in the context of, of church community. And um, I think sometimes, uh, again, in the church, we're living with the legacy of this sort of purity culture that um, our teaching on sex was very much bound up to wait until you're married you know don't have sex before marriage because then sex within marriage is going to be great um, and it was um you know the point of keeping yourself pure was so that you're going to have an amazing marriage with loads of great sex there wasn't really much room for um you know singleness and celibacy is good in and of itself and it may last a lifetime and that's a good thing and that's a gift um, so I think we're sort of dealing with the fallout from that in our churches um, whilst you know in, in wider culture um we're you know we're getting all sorts of different messages about you know you can you can be in control of your own sexuality uh you can decide who you want to sleep with when you want to sleep with them you know you, you don't have to make a long-term commitment to somebody to be able to experience sort of sexual intimacy and stuff um virginity you know again it's not it doesn't get a great uh profile in <laughs> in kind of the media and in culture and in films and things uh does it uh, you know i i've i found it hard to find any positive uh role models who are open about you know being virgins and that kind of thing um, there is there is a kind of yeah romantic and sexual undertone to lots of our advertising branding film media uh, you know we do tend to uh, idolize the romantic and, and um you know that that feeds into that narrative for a lot of people and it's the narrative that I followed when I was younger that you know I need a romantic relationship to feel fulfilled satisfied um, to feel like I'm lovable and loved. So yeah, I don't know if that if that helps at all. <laughs> These are just my musings. <laughs> <laughs> I like your musings. They're experts. They're musings of an expert. Um, so what? So what? Yeah. What? So what's your? 
was your setup now as a single person? Because I seem to remember you're, you 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 live in a kind of shared accommodation. Talk to us about how you're finding that singleness can be and is a, a, a place of flourishing. Mm. Yeah, well, I've had various experiences of singleness. Um, as, as I say, I became a Christian when I was 19 um, and I've been single the entire time. So um, I, in, in a sense of, you know, unmarried, I have had, um, as I mentioned, a few romantic relationships, largely because, you know, I, I sort of lost sight of the goodness of singleness and the goodness of God. Um, so, yeah, my experience of singleness has changed over the years. I think it's different when you hit different kind of landmarks in your life. So uh, in my 20s, I think that the, the biggest battle for me was kind of sexual purity. You know, I, I saw lots of friends, you know, getting involved in sexual relationships. Uh, some of my Christian friends were getting married. Um, I, um, I shared a house, but then I lived by myself for, um, for um, a few years and, you know, it, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to buy a flat and I kind of felt like I, I, I sort of arrived materially, but I didn't feel like a proper, adult. you know, I was living there by myself. I was, I was quite lonely. Um, I didn't have really enough community around me. So that, that just fueled my sexual fantasies and kind of made me think, you know, what I need is somebody to share this house and life with, you know, and for me, the, the only, uh, the only way of thinking of that was in a sort of romantic and sexual relationship. So, you know, that's, uh, that's when I sort of took that misstep. In my 30s, I think I became a lot more um, confident in my singleness and actually started to see it as a good thing. I think particularly my involvement in mission work, um, because um, I, I think some of the some of the unhelpful Christian narrative around marriage is that, you know, uh, one of our purposes in life is to marry and have children and all that, all that kind of thing. Um, and actually, through my work in mission, I realised that I can have a massive impact on the next generation. I can have spiritual children by taking the Great Commission seriously. And I was I was in student work. You know, I, I had lots of you know people who were, I guess, you know, almost a generation younger than me who, you know, really came really valued what I thought about things came to me for advice I was able to sort of disciple them invest in them spiritually I thought this is great you know I don't have to do all the kind of annoying things of being a parent but you know I am making an eternal impact in these people's lives you know I am parenting people and this is something I wouldn't have been able to do if I was you know sort of married at home with with kids of my own and that kind of thing I was sort of, certainly wouldn't be able to do it on that scale um and I think as well, being single, you know, I have really invested in Christian community. I've got a lot of Christian friends that I just of, of different ages, generations, backgrounds. That I probably wouldn't have had time for or certainly not had as much time for if, you know, my my main priority in terms of human relationships was a husband or partner. Um, so, you know, really in my 30s sort of start to see the benefits of singleness. I, I, I've always found it difficult to live on my own. I'm just, that's not really me, to be honest. I can't cook. I'm not very good at looking after myself. Um, but I actually, you know, God provided for that in a really amazing way. So um, there's a friend of mine that I worked with and she lived by herself as well. Um, and we sort of got, got friendly through work. She was a Christian as well. Um, and then she snapped her Achilles tendon and couldn't, get into her house because there were steps to get up to it and um you know the, the hospital just discharged her you know without any help really so she asked if she could come and stay with me for a week um because I had a ground floor flat and I said yeah okay that's fine and um, so she came to stay for a week and um 
that turned into a few months and uh, we we had a lot of good conversations then about some of the difficult things about being single, especially, you know, being ill um, when you kind of need people to look after you and you live on your own. And we prayed into it. We realised we had a we had a similar vision for church and community and investing in other people. Um, and so we decided um, to basically sell both of our houses and to buy a house together um, and this is something we involved other people in this decision we talked to church leadership it wasn't something we took lightly uh, but the top and bottom of it is we we pulled our resources we bought a house together uh, that we very much wanted to use for mission and ministry um, so you know it, we've done all sorts of crazy things we've had yard parties um, out the front where we've kind of given out tea and donuts to passers by and talk to them about Jesus and stuff. We've had loads of student gatherings here, home groups, all sorts of things. Um, but we also have this, uh, this room in our house that we call the Kutch, uh, which is Welsh for, um, it means safe place and it also means hug, which is exactly, you know, what, what we wanted. So, um, and that's somewhere that people can come and stay and, you know, um, be looked after in the short and medium term. Um, so it's a way of sort of using what we've got materially to bless other people and you know God's used that in, in amazing ways and you know we're we're blessed to live somewhere that's quite cheap really so we've got a decent sized house so we've you know we've got a bedroom each and a study each uh, so we've got our own space but we also you know it's it's nice to be able to share life with somebody else you know and with other people that we invite into into our home um, so we've actually been sharing for 14 years which is wow. um, amazing yeah and uh, <clears throat> I think it's good because we have sort of complimentary gifts um, Abby really likes cooking um, and is very good at it and I like eating so that uh, that works <laughs> well <laughs> um, I, I do all the sort of bills and finance and stuff like that um, but yeah it's it, it's very much I think what makes it work is it's not an insular thing. It's not just kind of me and Abby kind of looking after each other, but we always prayed that it would be an outward thing that we'd invite other people into the home. You know, it's not just the two of us. It's, uh, it's very much a home for building community and doing ministry and welcoming people, Christians and non-Christians, you know, um, COVID made that, that hard, uh, but now we're kind of out the other side. We're starting to see that happening again. And it's, it's really encouraging. And, you know, it, I guess as well, it shows that there doesn't need to be this polarisation between, you know, being in a romantic sexual relationship on one hand or being alone, living by yourself, having no intimacy on the other. There's a whole load of like really godly stuff in between. And, you know, we we all need intimacy. We all need friendship. We all need community. Uh, and actually, you know, I, I think you can experience that and enjoy that. Um, really fully as a single person um, if you're involved in the lives of other people and that you're getting stuck into community and uh, you know single people don't have to wait for that to happen to them we can take the initiative and uh, you know just just go for it Mm, oh, that's superb. I mean, you mentioned not it's not an insular thing. You have other, you have mission. It's connected to blessing the community, which I mm. think is so important. One of the things that always concerns me about some young weddings I go to is <laughs> is the the hashtag our wedding culture that is very much the whole focus is on their infatuation with one another. And I always love to kind of make the point of saying, well, this isn't really about your infatuation with another. It's you coming together for the good of others. Mm. Um, I, I'm longing for the day that someone believes me enough <laughs> that we can just um, have a wedding as part of a regular church service. Because I, I think this is what they're supposed to be. They're just the, the church community yeah. celebrating the coming together and the establishing of a new household for the blessing of the, the world. 
Uh, and that's what happens when, you know, whether it's a single coming together and establishing a household that's supposed to be a, a place of flourishing, safety, strength, a kitch for the world, um, or whether it's a, a married couple coming together. Um, so I love that vision. Uh, how can people take steps to make that sort of thing happen? Because I imagine that, you know, that's quite a unique set up a unique relationship develop mm. with a friend um is abby same-sex attracted as well um yeah yeah she is so um i guess in in some ways it was easier for us because we both kind of knew that we we weren't mm. going to get married i mean you know god can do anything but I, I i think we both kind of felt like our our calling to singleness was going to be long term so we could make that commitment i mean we never we never said right this is you know till death to us part <laughs> we can never go our separate way you know um so you never know what god might do but it, it was helpful to be able to know that you know sort of yeah medium to long term we could make that commitment to a shared vision and a shared purpose and um uh yeah so that that was helpful but there are people doing things in lots of different ways um I mean, I, I know I know groups of friends that have sort of clubbed together to 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 get a house together. I, I know I've got a friend who's, who bought a house with her brother. Um, you know, we can we can sort of adopt family in lots of different ways and different permutations. And it doesn't have to mean living together. Sometimes, you know, I've got another friend who with some of his church friends, they they uh, specifically decided to move to an area. So they all kind of live in in separate houses but kind of right next to each other and they have keys to each other's houses and it's very much a sort of communal shared life in fact I think he even shares a dog with another friend so <laughs> they kind of take it into it's like a timeshare dog um which I think is lovely you know there are lots of creative ways that we can um do life together that we can share time that we can share possessions you know I I, I would I would just encourage people to to, to dream bigger, to pray into it and to look at creative ways that we can kind of share life and, and space together because it doesn't have to be done how it always has been. Um, I'm privileged to know um, lots of Iranians and, and the way that they do things is, is really helpful to learn from because they are from a much more communal culture. Uh, they share food in a way that Brits don't. <laughs> uh, you know, we think we think we know what we're doing when we do a bring and share. We have no idea. You know, you just got to get a load of Iranians and they can take it to a whole new level. So um, for me, it's been a blessing making friends with people from other cultures and backgrounds who just do, you know, who don't have a Western individualistic mindset. Um, but yeah, there's, there's loads of, of, of ways that we could do things. And we have a key box on the side of the house. And so lots of people have the number for the key box and they're welcome to come and go as they please. They could come in and use the house even if we're not in, you know. Uh, we've really encouraged a sort of open door policy. We live in, you know, a, a sort of pedestrian thoroughfare between town and a, and, and a you know, studenty area. We just encourage people to kind of knock on the door when they're passing and that sort of thing. And so there's lots of it. You know, even if you live on your own, it doesn't mean that uh, you know you have to be lonely or isolated or anything. You could, you know, you could sort of have people to come and stay for varying lengths of time. You could have an open door policy. You could have a key box. You know, you could you could host stuff at your house. There's all sorts of things that you can do. Um, I just think as well, doing kind of menial stuff with other people is a great way to build community. You know, we all have to go shopping. We all have to get the post box. You know, we all have to run errands and stuff. So why don't we kind of do those things with other people? Um, uh, we don't 
yeah doing church community doesn't have to be just going to organize church things all the time you know church meetings or services or evangelistic things or whatever it could be just like tell you what I'm going to the shops you know shall I pick up a couple of other friends on the way and we'll go around with our trolleys together you know so as a single person you don't have to miss out on that kind of mundane stuff with other people either um, sometimes it just requires a bit of creativity a bit of you know seeing what what works yeah mm, that's really good i do often think you know churches like ours we talk about fellowship community and we put on meetings to try to make those things happen which is really bizarre because <laughs> those meetings are supposed to facilitate the creation of life they're not supposed to be life themselves yeah uh, and yet so yeah. often we just kind of think oh i'll just put on a meeting and that'll be that'll be life you think, well that's yeah. not life to the full like, people call it life group i used to always say it doesn't feel like life group it's like nah. a bible study and i'll go home afterwards like it's supposed to facilitate something else yeah and it's supposed to enable you to create connections that flourish outside of this meeting and that's a beautiful idea of doing those little errands together or sharing a dog yeah <laughs> yeah well i think that's why often you know people at church can feel like colleagues rather than friends because mm. the, the way that we connect is meetings and that feels more like a job than you know what you do with your actual friends so uh yeah you're you're right we need to find find ways that we just sort of do normal stuff together and you know, sometimes that's having fun and doing social things. And sometimes that's doing really menial, mundane things or doing difficult stuff, kind of suffering together. That brings us mm. closer mm. as well. I mean, this, this may this may be uh, an unreasonable que- line of questioning. So you can, you can <laughs> just say no. But I, in, in sharing a house with someone who's also same sex attracted, I would imagine you've considered that potentially comes with the challenges that if a, a heterosexual individuals male and female were to move in together as friends um what are some of the ways uh, how have you helped your church uh understand or appreciate that as as being um a, a strong secure friendship that isn't sexual and is therefore okay and how have you tried to ensure how it how it's perceived to others who aren't part of it and then also for yourselves guarding your hearts against um yeah, it's the sort of question you probably had thrown at you or asked at you several times, but I just hope you don't mind me asking that. No, not at all. I think it's a really important question. It's something that we really carefully considered before we made the decision to share a house. And we talked through with you know, church leadership. You know, I remember going around to speak to the minister and he asked us the same kind of questions, which I'm really glad he did. You know, he wouldn't have been responsible if he wasn't. And uh, so he asked us some really kind of personal questions and we'd already thought through all those things. Um, It was good that we kind of had a bit of a trial, really, because when um, she snapped her Achilles, you know, we had some uh, a a number of months where Abby was living at my house um, uh with yeah with a kind of <laughs> with a leg in plaster uh, but we'd sort of tried out living together and realized that it worked and that um you know we, we kind of complemented each other and um yeah so that was really helpful before we sort of took the plunge to buy together so that's probably something that I would advise other people you know test test the water a bit first also talk to wise spiritually mature people allow them to ask you any questions however uncomfortable answer those questions honestly you know pray into it really carefully because you know I think fundamentally as well you know we both love Jesus and we didn't want to do anything that would jeopardize our relationship with him you know um however you know however difficult loneliness is sometimes you know I I was really 
I was just really mindful that I had gone wrong in the past and I didn't want to sort of financially commit to something that that was then going to really hamper my walk with God or, or pull me away from him so you know we, we examined our own motives which I think was really helpful um and as I say you know it wasn't a you know this is this is for for till the end of time you know um obviously if they, things change you know we we can kind of do something different or you know we've even talked about um potentially I think both of us would like to live with more people in the future so that's something uh, that that may well happen um yeah and I mean ongoingly I, I think it has been difficult because obviously people make assumptions and um, with people in church we've always been quite open and clear and you know trying to explain um the nature of the the relationship that you know we're really good friends we see each other as sisters really um and you know in a massive sense we are sisters we're sisters in christ you know so that, so it is a sort of close intimate relationship but without the kind of sexual element um it's hard to explain sometimes to non-christians um, i mean if people come around the house i often give them a tour you know say oh would you like to look around and they can see you know our separate separate bedrooms separate study spaces um, I think it's more difficult when, you know, like delivery people come to the door or whatever, you know, it, it would be a bit weird to say to everybody that we encountered, oh, we're not in a sexual relationship. You know? <laughs> so there are, there are probably people who make that assumption. Um, I remember one time when I was between jobs and I had to sign on at the job centre and um, because, you know, we share some financial commitments and things, I had to kind of put that on the form. And uh, the guy kept referring to Abby as my partner and I kept correcting him. And, um, you know, he just couldn't conceive of it because it is a bit countercultural. It is a bit different. Um, I think now with houses being quite expensive and people not being able to afford on their own, it is more normal to kind of buy a house with a friend. And I'm glad about that because um, I think in many ways, you know, we have devalued friendship a lot. And, you know, friendship has often meant something quite casual and passing. Um, and then anything more than that has been romantic. And um, so I think it's nice to be able to model that friendship can be a committed thing. It can be, you know, a close thing where you share more than just, you know, a pint every couple of weeks um so I think it's you know it has been a good witness to people it does it invites questions which often you know is a good opportunity to explain more about faith and more about the decisions that we're making and the way we're choosing to live um, I certainly try to avoid any misunderstandings or people jumping to conclusions but inevitably that will happen sometimes um, and there's not a lot you can do about that when the postman thinks you're a couple, you know, but where, where I can, I've tried to correct it. And certainly, you know, Christians and people from church have been extremely supportive. Um, in in the, the church that we were both going to when we first uh, kind of bought the house, there were other, there were two other um, pairs of single Christian women who lived together. Um, two of them, kind of an older couple, they'd, um, been living together for 30 years you know both unmarried women um kind of live live in a house together go on holiday together and everything so it was quite nice that there was also mm. a precedent set for that that yeah. it had been modeled that we're not the first people doing this um and it's yeah it's nice to see it happening in other areas as well mm, and it strikes me as one of the main things that uh, the church needs to recover which is a, a robust and thorough theology of friendship absolutely um, yeah what do you think there's a place for um 
binding friendships in law um, or same-sex unions that are just legally binding rather than romantic and sexually binding and that's it's kind of context just the protections that uh, friends might be afforded under law that sort of thing what are, what are some of your mm. reflections on um, some of the securities that people in friendships can miss out on because they're not married that's it. We're <laughs> hot potato there, haven't you? How is it? I mean, that, that, <laughs> that's something that I've done a lot of thinking about. And I, I've kind of changed my mind on this a few times. Um, I do think that friendship is different from marriage. I I personally don't think that um, covenantal friendship, as in a sort of formal thing, is is a good idea. Um, people do differ on this. And, and there are people that I really respect who think differently. Um we did consider sort of right at the start whether a civil partnership would be a good thing, you know, a celibate civil partnership, because there is no requirement in a civil partnership to sort of consummate it in a sexual way. But we felt that, you know, civil partnership is seen so much as a kind of gay marriage thing that that wouldn't be helpful. And, you know, there's, uh, we don't want to communicate anything that isn't true to, to people in the world and to our families and that kind of thing. Um, and I guess as well, um, you know, we, we have made a commitment to each other, but it isn't the same as a marriage commitment. It isn't sort of to death till death to us do us part. You know, there is there is a, a lot of element of sort of self-sacrifice. There's a lot of element of sticking through thick and thin. You know, Abby's had numerous physical illnesses um, since we shared. And obviously I've wanted to support her in that. And she's supported me with all sorts of traumas I've been through. Um, but I, I suppose as well that there's a distinctive in that friendship um, friendship isn't exclusive in the way that marriage is. Um, so, you know, it, we've been very clear from the start that this isn't just a, a friendship between us, but it's it, it's an opportunity to go much wider than that, to invite other people into it. You know, as I said, we may well, you know, live with one or two other people in the future. Um and they would be kind of equal um, parties in the friendship. Whereas if a married couple, you know, invite a single person or two other people to invite, uh, to live with them, that's a different relationship. They're not being invited into the marriage in the same way. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we want our friendship to be outward looking. We, we don't want to be focused in on each other, but, you know, we want to just model what, what a good sort of friendship sibling type relationship looks like but that that is embedded in wider community um and involves other people and there's no exclusivity so you know we um we really want each other to have other close friends and you know i mean abby is one of my close friends but i have other really close friends who i talk to about deep personal things and that's good and healthy i guess in a marriage as well you, you know you need other close friends um but i suppose that uh in my friendship with abby you know she doesn't have sort of exclusive rights to a particular nature of friendship that i don't have elsewhere as well um and i mean yeah talking about sort of physical practical um implications obviously yeah there are there are some things rights that you don't get as just friends who share a hand um but i i, I think we're sort of prepared to forego those for the sake of you know being godly being biblical sort of trying to do friendship well uh, but there are things that you can do i mean you know we've made wills to make sure that each other's sort of provided for if one of us dies and that kind of thing and you can get insurances and stuff so yeah i i think if there is a sort of financial sacrifice involved, then then that's fine. It's worth mm. 
Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, it's part of living by faith, isn't it? That we yeah. actually our, our ultimate security, even as married people, isn't in the you know the, the legally binding provisions that we make for one another. Yeah. It's actually in in God, the Father's provision for us as His people, um, and it's, it's really helpful. I've not really given that much thought, so it's really fascinating to have you just kind of share where you've landed at. Because you're right, there. I guess that the aspects of covenant and the the cosmic symbolism of marriage is going to make it always quite different from mm-hmm. friendship, um, and that needs to be an important part of what Christian couples recover as uh, being an important part of their relationship as distinct from um, just a a non-Christian marriage says well we know what we're doing here we're we're imaging something in a cosmic drama that's getting played out fine what about one of the things that's kind of often talked about is the importance of physical touch for us as human beings for attachment and sense of well-being and love i read something 18 foot of skin uh, uh, occupies our body there it is (laughs) approximately 18 foot of skin covers our body and we need or to be touched regularly to be reminded that we're okay and that we're loved and we're safe in the world so how do single people um in and friendships that aren't sexual ensure that that important part of intimacy um isn't neglected Mm, that's a really good question and um i guess there are some of us who need that more than others um i i'm sure you've probably come across the five love language thing um well mine you know right at the top you know clearly above everything else is physical touch for me it's just a massive thing um so yeah that is something that i you know i have struggled with um and try to work out how I can get healthy, intimate, physical touch without it being sexual or inappropriate or anything like that. Um, especially when I lived on my own, you know, I could go for days without hugging people. And, you know, the whole COVID thing's been really tough for single people. Um, you know, I know that friends have gone for months without touching another human being. And I mean, that's that's not good for us. Um, I suppose in my own uh in my own life, I know that it's a massive need for me. And so um, I, I do sort of actively try to get that need met in good ways. And um, one of the biggest things is I tell my friends, I just, my friends know that I need lots of hugs and I've made friends with lots of huggy people. Um, so I pretty much, you know, every day I get multiple hugs from people because I just don't give them the option really. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, if you, if you wanna if you want to love me and, you know, do friendship well with me, then this is something that I need. Um, Fortunately, I've got, yeah, lots of friends who really enjoy hugs. And um, so, you know, I, I had a couple of friends around last night, uh, a married couple um, just came around to hang out and watch a bit of Columbo, actually. <laughs> and we just had some lovely hugs, you know, proper, none of this kind of weird Christian hug where you try not to actually, you know, press against each other. But, you know, proper lovely, you know, brotherly and sisterly hugs that, that communicate love and, you know, make you feel kind of safe and, and stuff. Um, so yeah I have a I have a sort of army of huggers around me um but there have been times you know I'm not ashamed to ask for a hug if I need it and um you know sometimes you know when I've been upset and stuff there are friends who will you know hold me and put their arms around me and things and I've got friends that will you know come around and watch the tv with me and just kind of like put their legs on my um lap and that kind of thing you know and it's it's nice mm. I, I suppose my kind of barometer is uh you know, is this something that siblings would would do together? Um, I made the mistake when I was in my early twenties of thinking, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be close to any women really. I shouldn't, you know, 
I should be a bit wary of hugs with them and that kind of thing because it might be unhelpful and you know I want to avoid any impure thoughts and everything what I actually felt was I was just felt starved of affection and that fed lustful thoughts and that kind of thing because I was actually craving craving intimacy I was craving something that that we need you know so I've over the years realized that what I actually need and what really helps uh, overcome sexual frustration and sexual temptations is healthy intimacy with women and with men you know um so it's lovely now that I have yeah that I have friends that I feel really physically comfortable with that I'm not attracted to and I just enjoy um so that's been really helpful for me and also, actually, uh, in lockdown, I got a cat as well, <laughs> you know. Um, and I mean, I'm not saying, you know, somebody once, when I was really lonely and really miserable, somebody said, get a pet, and I nearly hit them because I thought, you know, that is absolutely not a substitute for human intimacy. And it isn't, and I'm not saying that, but actually, you know, cuddling a cat that, you know, is really beautiful and loves me and does lots of funny things, it is lovely. You know, it's, I suppose it's it's part of, you know, it's part of what helps me along with lots of other things. Mm, yeah. So in the great war and divide between cat and dog people, you've um, <laughs> sided with the cats there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a really helpful uh, observation, actually, you said when you realised when you weren't touching people, it, f- it fueled and fed lustful thoughts. So I'm learning to say to my wife, I need to be honest, I'm not feeling as close to you as I'd like. And, and often as men, we use, and not just men actually, we use sex as a kind of instant hit of affection and attachment that makes me feel secure and safe. It's like a shot of adrenaline. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm loved. The big release of oxytocin, the cuddle chemical. You think, oh, I'm at peace. I'm, I'm loved. But I'm learning, you know, after a decade of marriage or so, I don't actually need that as much as I thought I do. Well, there's a lie in our culture. Oh, I'm just a man. I need sex. That's what we do. But that's not actually true. Um, I actually need to feel loved and safe with someone and to feel like I'm with someone who, you know, makes me feel heard and seen. And if I don't have that, then I start to think, all I really need is sex. And that's a really, so I just, I just kind of really appreciate that observation from you. You're much wiser and more thoughtful on this than I am. But, um, well, just as we and wrap things up, kind of draw things to a close, anything else that's on your heart or mind that you thought, I'd, I'd love to just share this or this has popped into my head I want to talk about? Um... I guess uh, I want to bring it all back to Jesus because, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, community and friendship and sharing lives and things, which is all really important. But I think even those things wouldn't be enough if it wasn't for the intimacy that I have with Christ. And um, I've been through a really rough year and, you know, I've allowed other things to kind of capture my heart, other people to capture my heart um, above him. And I'm kind of, realizing the depths of his love and grace and mercy afresh and just enjoying time with him and I think um it's interesting talking about physical intimacy because you know I've wrestled a lot with how can I have physical intimacy with God you know he's he's invisible he's you know I can't give him a hug um but there are I've discovered you know as I'm spending time pursuing him throwing myself at him being in his word being in his presence love going to the beach and hanging out with him I've discovered that he does touch me sort of physically and intimately in a way that even other human beings can't and it's quite hard to explain that I think it's one of those things that you just have to taste and see that the Lord is good you know it's it's like trying to explain the taste of a banana to somebody who's never eaten one just do it you know I want to encourage listeners that you know true intimacy true purpose true deep never-ending love that we all crave and that we all need that is only found in Jesus 
Um, so, you know, throw, throw yourself at him. Yeah, have friends, have community, have fulfilling work, have family, um, but don't ever neglect to spend time with your saviour and Lord, the lover of your soul, because um, he really has come to give you life to the full, as it says in John 10, 10. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't be without that. That's beautiful and a great place to leave our uh, conversation today and we're going to put uh, links to the description for today's episode uh, to some of your writing and particularly your living out podcast which um i know you've been doing you're in your fifth season now i think you said mm. is that right so you, <laughs> yeah reduced a lot of podcasts so do please listeners check that out and uh, there's some great guests and contributors on there some wealth including of you jess <laughs> oh no i wasn't going to say that Let me, uh, overlooking that one <laughs> I realised as I said it, I don't want to... Yes, anyway, okay. Um, and thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, you're welcome. It's been really fun. Thank you.